we thank you, Jesus, that before Abraham, you are. And we thank you that we are children of Abraham and how that identity points to our relationship with you forever. So I pray now, Lord, by your spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our souls to hear you, to follow you, and to enjoy the promises that you made to Abraham and that you have fulfilled in your son, Jesus, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we hear the gospel this morning, and as we look to our next chapter in God's story and our place in it, what it means to be the people of God, following God, enjoying God, and proclaiming God, as we take this uh, next leg of our journey in the story of God and look at the life of Abraham, it raises a really important question. A really important question. What is faith? What does it mean to have faith? That's one of the most important questions that we can ask. What is faith and how do we have it? So let's start by reviewing where we are in God's story. Here's our storyline. Let's say it aloud together. Before anything existed, there was an amazing being called God. God is the author of life and creates all things to glorify himself. Satan rebels against God, but God is holy and always does what is good, right, and perfect. God creates Adam and Eve in his image to love him and one another according to his design. Sin corrupts God's design and separates humanity from him and one another. Cain murders his brother Abel because of jealousy. God is grieved by human sin and starts again, flooding the earth and sparing only Noah and his family and two of every animal. People build a city for their own glory. So God gives them different languages and scatters them across the world. Then God chooses Abraham to father a people to represent himself to the world. It's a great story. And as we're looking at God's story, we're looking at who God is and who God creates us to be, how sin corrupts our God-given identity, what we need God to do. And when and if God does that, how would we live in grateful response? We pick up God's story after the Tower of Babel. A few generations later, God starts over again. God's not a quitter. God has a dream. God has a plan. God is passionately pursuing a people for himself. And God will accomplish his purposes. Now, I've broken today's narrative down into three key episodes. All right. So 
uh, we're going to look at three episodes. This is kind of how I watch Netflix, right? You can't just watch one episode, right? You like watch the second one. You're like, I can just do one more. So we're going to do, we're going to do three episodes in the life of Abraham this morning. And what each episode does is it highlights an important aspect of what it means to have faith. So that like Jesus encourages us, we can see Abraham's faith in God and we can follow his example and have that kind of faith in God as well. So the story continues like this. Episode one, hear and obey. God makes a promise to Abram saying, Abram, leave, you, leave your country and your relatives, and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you a father of a great nation, famous throughout history. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I love the world, and I will bless all of humanity through you and your descendants. And this becomes an amazing new chapter in God's story. God chooses to bless all of humanity through one man and his family. And Abraham hears and obeys. So God leaves Abram and his family to the land of Canaan. And when they arrive, God tells Abram, Abram, look, as far as you can see in every single direction, I'm giving this land to you and to your descendants. And that's why the land of Canaan becomes called the promised land. There's just one problem. Abram's wife, Sarai, has been unable to have children. And besides that, Abram is about 75. Sarai is about 65. And so the question becomes, how in the world, God, can you bless us through our descendants? Episode two, trust. Some time passes. And then God comes to Abram through a vision and says, Abram, don't be afraid. I am always your shield and protector. Your reward for trusting me will be very great. Abram replies, Lord, I'm still childless. And Eleazar stands to inherit all I own. Since you have not given me the gift of children, my only heir will be one of the servants in my household. But the Lord tells him, no, Abram, I assure you, your very own child will be an heir. And then God takes Abram outside and he shows him something. Look up at the stars, Abram, and try and count them if you can. There are too many to count, aren't there? Your descendants will be as many of those stars. And Abram trusts God. And God counts it to him as righteousness. Episode three, assurance. Still struggling to remain faithful, Abram says, Lord, how am I supposed to know you'll do this? How can I be sure? And God replies, Bring to me the following, a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. 
Well, Abraham knows what God is talking about. So Abraham presents all these animals to God. He sacrifices them and then cuts them in two, laying each half next to the other. And as the sun goes down, Abram falls into a deep prayer-like sleep. And a terrifying darkness descends upon him. And then a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passes between the halves of the animal carcasses. And God makes a covenant with Abram. This is the story we call Abraham. As you hear God's story, as you put yourself in the place of Abram, do some of his questions to God reflect the questions that you sometimes have for God? Do you hear the tension between what he wants to do and what he sometimes ends up doing? Do you hear the the struggle that he's having with being in relationship with God? And yet, do you hear the faith? Do you see the faith? So what does it mean to have faith? Abraham provides an incredible example. His example is so helpful that Jesus says, follow it. So what is his example that we might be able to follow? What is faith and how do we have it? Because I know that if if I understand faith and I know how to have it, then today is going to be a different day. This week is going to be a better week. I want to have faith. I long to have a deeper faith. And I know that 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 desire and that longing has been placed in my heart from God himself because it's God who wants to grow me up in the faith. He wants to grow us up in the faith. So what is it? How do we have it? Three episodes, three examples. The first is this. Faith is hearing and obeying. Y'all, this is a huge theme that will go throughout the divine narrative. And in the Hebrew, it's really deep. It's not just hearing words. It's not just listening. Those are two English words. There's no word like that in Hebrew. There's no dichotomy. Hearing means with your mind, with your heart, and with your soul. And as we hear God, his word resonates with us and we follow it. We obey it. We put it into practice. Faith is hearing and obeying. Open your Bible or your Bible app and let's look together at Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse one. God speaks. So simple and yet so wonderful. God speaks to his people because God is a God of relationship and good communication is key for a good relationship. And so God initiates this new relationship by speaking. It's interesting in the story that we've read thus far, how God initiates something wonderful by speaking. Think about that. Adam hears. 
Leave your country, your people, your tribe, everything that's safe and familiar and go to a place that I have prepared for you in advance. And there's only one condition. Abram hears, but he also has to what? Obey. He has to put the promise of God into practice. Abram has to leave and he has to go. Now, can you imagine what that would have looked like when he went back to the tent and tried to explain that to Sarai? Hey, Sarai, pack your bags, baby. We're moving. We're leaving everyone we know and everything we've done and all that's familiar to us. We're what? Where are we going, Abram? Well, I don't know exactly. We're just going and God's going to show us where. I don't know about you, but if that was my house, I'd have to have a lot of faith just to have that conversation with Amanda. (laughs) God speaks, Abram hears, and Abram and Sarai obey. Interesting how that works. Hearing and obeying for them is a very radical business. Imagine why. Because he's a prosperous merchant, he's accumulated possessions, he's known and respected and established. He has his own personal staff, for goodness sake. And so, for all intents and purposes, this is a vocational, a financial, and a marital nightmare. And yet they hear and obey. They leave and go by faith. That's what faith looks like. When God calls us to leave something, we obey his leadership so we can go to something better that he has provided for us. What about you? In what ways is God calling you to leave and go? Is it walking away from an idol? Is it stepping out of a sinful pattern of behavior? Is it ending an unhealthy relationship? How could the Lord bless you with something better? Maybe a deeper relationship with him, a stronger bond with your spouse, a different vocation or ministry assignment that aligns your gifting and passion so that you can better be a blessing to others. Leaving and going is a part of the rhythm of faith. It's a pattern of our relationship with God. And when we hear, we obey. We're not afraid, we believe. God will never ask you to leave something unless he intends to take you someplace better. God will never ask you to put down something unless he has something better to put in your hands. God will never call you to go from A to B unless that journey, inwardly and outwardly, no matter how challenging, is the very best for your calling, your character, and your contribution to his purposes for his glory and your joy. What's God calling you to leave and go today? Y'all, faith is not a noun. It's an action verb.
What is faith? It's hearing and obeying. Faith is also trusting. Trusting. Abram is still afraid he won't have an heir. And his fear leads to doubt. God, I know what you promised, but I'm old. So if our relationship is conditional on my ability to do this, then we're in trouble. Doubt leads Abram to lose hope and he starts to blame God. You made the promise. You made the promise, God, but you haven't come through. What's up with that? So the Lord speaks to Abram in a vision. Continue to look at Genesis 15, one through six. We've gone from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15, one through six. God says, do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield and your very great reward. God speaks, Abram, I am your shield. In other words, don't worry about the future. I'll protect you. I'll defend you. I've got you covered. Abram, I am your very great reward. Hold on, time out. Because the Hebrew here is so good. Y'all want to learn a Hebrew word this morning? Okay, if I teach it to you, you have to try and use it in context this week. Uh, maybe not so much anymore. Okay, say rabach. Rabach. The Hebrew word here is rabach. It's the same word God uses in Genesis 1. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and rabach. Multiply. It has to do with ongoing exponential reproduction. So the more literal translation of the Hebrew here is Abram, I am your exceedingly great, exponentially multiplying reward. It's me. I'll be your provider. You're not a fool for trusting me. I'll take care of you. And the more you allow me to provide for you, the greater my provision will become. You've got me, Abram, so you've got more than enough. I am your shield and your rabah. Abram believes. Abram believes by clinging to God in the midst of his insecurity and uncertainty. He believes by trusting God to overcome his doubt and his fear. He believes by placing his entire life in the hands of an intimate, loving, gracious, capable, comforting, strong, and supportive God who wants to bless him so that he can be a blessing. Abram believes God and the Lord credits that belief to him as righteousness. How about you? What areas of your life is God inviting you to place your hope not in yourself, not in something of this world, but in him? How are you leaning on your own understanding to make your own path straight rather than leaning on God and his promise to be a lamp unto your feet and to guide you and align you to his purposes for you?
What outcomes rest in your hands rather than placing them in God's? And what would it look like to relate to God as your exceedingly great, exponentially multiplying reward to make him first and honor him and trust him above all else. Faith is hearing and obeying. Faith is trusting. And faith is assurance. Assurance. Look at verse seven. Abram says, how am I to know for sure that you will do this? Abraham is asking for reassurance. He asks for an outward physical sign to confirm his inward spiritual commitment. And so God demonstrates his trustworthiness in a way that Abram can understand. Verses nine and 10, the Lord tells him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Okay, that's a little bit lost in our cultural context today. But it is not lost on Abram in the cultural context of his day. Abram knows exactly what God's getting at. Because in Abram's day, when people made a covenant, they would take animals like cows or goats, they would sacrifice them and literally cut them in half. And then they would create an aisle with the pieces, an aisle with the pieces. And they would walk between the pieces through the blood of that sacrifice to demonstrate their commitment to one another. To cut a covenant meant to walk between the sacrificial animals, to walk in and through the blood and to say in picture form, if I don't completely keep my promise, so shall it be done to me as it has been done to these animals. May the blood, may the curse, may the death be upon me if I do not keep this covenant perfectly. Abraham understands And he trusts God. Immediately, he goes and gets the animals. He presents them to God. Then he kills them. He cuts them down the middle. He lays the halves side by side and creates a bloody aisle. Now pause for a second. How do you think Abraham's feeling at this moment? What's he thinking? What's going on with Abraham? Look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and a terrifying darkness came down over him. It's helpful to know that the word sleep here doesn't mean he hit the hay. It means he's stupefied. He's stupefied. It's more like a trance. Abram can't move. He can't speak. He's utterly motionless and completely terrified. Why? 
Because there's something else Abram knows about covenant. And it drops him to the ground on his face in holy, reverent fear. Because Abram knows that when a covenant is cut between someone of great stature and power and someone of lesser stature and power, only the lesser party walks between the pieces and takes the pledge to the death. So Abram is face down on the ground, stupefied. He's terrified because he knows that he is the lesser party. Entering into a covenant that requires him to be perfectly faithful. He's terrified because he doesn't see any way that he can be perfectly faithful to a perfect God. And the consequence of his unfaithfulness will be certain death. You feel the weight. Do you feel his holy reverent, tremendous fear of the Lord. He can't move, he can't speak, he can't do anything. And that's the point. It's here that the story of God takes a dramatic turn. Look at verses 17 and 18. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. God doesn't just speak. God shows up. God manifests his presence through smoke and fire. And God takes the pledge for both of them. God personally walks the bloody aisle between the pieces. And by doing so, God is saying, Abram, you ask for assurance. So I, the greater party, the almighty God and creator of the universe, make this commitment for me and I make this commitment for you, the lesser party. I make it for both of us. Not only will I pay the penalty if I am not faithful to the covenant, I will pay the penalty if you are not faithful to the covenant. You see what God's doing? God pledges to keep his end of the agreement and he also pledges to keep Abraham's end of the agreement. So if Abram or his descendants should ever fail, God is saying the curse, the blood, the death will be on me. Abram thinks he's entering into an impossible agreement that will lead to a certain death. But God shows up and shows grace. And the only requirement for Abram is faith. 
Abram is saved by God's grace through faith. And it's going to be the same for all of his descendants. Abram, you asked me for assurance. This is how you can be 100% sure. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to make it happen. It's not about you or what you can or cannot do. It's about me and I'm able and I will do it. I'll take the responsibility and I'll take all the credit. I'm blessing you to be a blessing and I'm blessing you in a way where there will be no boasting in anything else but me. Do you see how this story points to Jesus? Jesus is the perfect man and the perfect example of faith. He is a better Abram. Though he's God, he doesn't think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gives up his divine privileges and becomes the lesser party. Taking on the position of a servant, he appears in human form and humbles himself in obedience to God and dies a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus leaves the presence of God so that we never have to again. And then he goes back into the presence of God to prepare a better place for us to go on the day that we're raised with him in his resurrection. Jesus is the perfect man. He's the perfect example of faith. He is the better Abram who came to do what Abram never could. And Jesus perfectly fulfills God's covenant on our behalf. Because we're all unfaithful to a perfectly faithful God. All we earn is the curse. All we merit is to be cut into pieces. All we deserve is death. But God, God clearly demonstrates his very deep and personal love for us and the world. And that while we were still sinners, he walked the bloody aisle. Christ died for us. And as we turn from our inability to perfectly be faithful and we believe in the perfect faithfulness of Jesus, he becomes our representative. By God's grace, Jesus perfectly keeps all the conditions of the covenant for us. He becomes our substitute He absorbs our curse. He's torn into pieces for us. He dies the death that we deserve. And by faith in his blood shed for us, God credits his righteousness to us. So Abram isn't the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. The presence of God who passionately pursues a people for himself and prevails.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to your table this morning, as we eat the bread and drink the cup, help us in our unbelief. And by your grace, move us to say, I believe. I believe. Thank you that even in my unfaithfulness, you have been faithful for me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving me. I believe. Come Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts that we may hear the voice of Jesus and obey the will of the Father. Come Holy Spirit, increase our trust. Come, almighty God. Be our protection and provision and our exceedingly great, exponentially multiplying reward. For yours, not ours, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.